Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. This is your first time joining us. Hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. We fill out one of those short forms online as a way of saying thank you. We're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. We are in week two of strategy for the struggle where we're learning that many times we have a massive strategy for winning, but we don't necessarily have a strategy for when there's a strategy struggle. It's like we're asking some questions in this series like how do we know how we're going to react when things don't go the way we thought they would? Do we have a plan for when we question ourselves internally? Like I, I thought things were they were going to go this way but they didn't. And, and we just question about everything that we're doing <laughs> in our lives, right? So we're, we've all been there and, and if you haven't been there yet, like, I mean you're, you're going to be. It's just a matter of time. One guy who was certainly feeling the struggle was Joseph. Now, Joseph's story is found near the end of the first book of the Bible. It's a book called Genesis, and his life was full of struggle. And we're looking at how he handled some of these struggles and key moments in his story. And, and how did Joseph handle things when they didn't really go his way? Certainly not the way that he thought they would go. Uh, he was born late in his father's life. All of uh, the sons that his dad had, uh, Joseph was certainly the favorite. There were 12 sons, and he had the favor, and his brothers really resented him him for that. Um, but then he gets these dreams which show that his family is bowing down to him in a position of leadership and authority. And he makes what, what I think is a mistake. He tells his dreams to his brothers and they resent him even more now, so much so that they actually want him dead. Can I just kind of pause for a moment and just say, I think you should be careful who you share God-given dreams with. Some folks will celebrate with you and they'll help you and they'll support you and cheer you on. But there are other folks who will try to steal those dreams and they'll, they'll try to destroy them and you along with it. So we learned last week that instead of you know, killing Joseph, uh, his brothers threw him into an empty cistern and threw him into a pit. And it's here where Joseph comes to grips with this first of many struggles, the struggle of hurt. All of us are going to struggle with hurt in our lives. And when we do, there's a process of pain that we're going to walk through. And if we're not careful, that process can end with hardened hearts. But if we have a strategy for how to deal with pain, we can avoid that fate. And the strategy for the struggle of hurt is to submit and trust in the Lord who is, as we explored last time, he's our good shepherd. So Joseph's in this pit. And his brothers see a caravan of traders heading to Egypt. And it's here where a major turn is going to take place in Joseph's life. So instead of killing him, they sell Joseph as a slave. So from now on, he will forever be a foreigner in a strange land. He's going to live the life of a slave, and he ends up in the, uh, the home of an important official named Potiphar. But Joseph is still enjoying the favor of God. Now, here's the thing about God's favor. It doesn't just just about you. 
it actually affects the people around you. And so Joseph has such favor from God and such good administrative skills too. Now Potiphar doesn't worry about a single thing except for the kind of food that he wants to eat, which I, I think that's the life, right? So Joseph's in charge. Things are, are going well after that time in the pit for him, as well as they can for a slave, I guess, right? Uh, but other struggle is getting ready to rear its ugly head. And here's where I want to pick up in his story. Genesis 39, verse number 6. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Wouldn't you like to be told that, right? And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He sell nothing back from me except for you because you're his wife. So how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Look at verse 10. She kept putting the pressure on Joseph day after day. Day. But he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. So one day, however, nobody else was around, and, and he went in to do his work. And she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come on, sleep with me! And so Joseph tore himself away. But he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. And here's where things get real hairy for him. Verse 13, When she saw that she was holding his cloak and had fled, she called out to her servants, Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. And he came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. And then when he heard my scream, he ran outside and got away. But he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak uh, with her until her husband, this is Potiphar here, okay? Her husband Potiphar comes home. And then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought to our house, he tried to come in and fool around with me. And she said, I screamed, and he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. So Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remains. Hmm. Here in Potiphar's house, we see the, the second struggle that Joseph faced. This is the struggle of temptation. Now, Webster kind of defines temptation like this. It's a thing or course of action which attracts someone to do something wrong or unwise. Now, we might look at this from a theological perspective and say, well, temptation is the enemy's plan to entice you away from God's will and purpose for your life. And this is why you have to have a strategy because there are areas in your life which will try to pull you away from God's purpose and plan for you. See, there really are two competing plans for your life. And they're both laid out in the words of Christ in John 10, 10. Look at what Jesus says here. He says in John 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them, these are followers of Christ here, give them a rich, look at this, and satisfying life. There are two competing plans that, God, that, 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 that are out for your life. God has one, and it's to give you a rich and satisfying life, a life of abundance, we might say. But so does the enemy in his plan for your life. Well, it's to destroy what God's purposed for you. He wants to pull you away from God's purpose and plan and, and fulfill fulfillment for your life with pain and destruction. That's what he wants to bring. So if you're a follower of Christ, guess what? You got a big target on your back. Let me give you an idea, too, of just the kind of temptation Joseph was feeling and what he may have been feeling when Potiphar's wife approached him 
about sleeping with her. So God designed sex. He's the author and designer of sex from the very beginning. He designed it for wholeness and oneness within marriage. And we had a really great teaching about human sexuality way back in our family series in May. If you were not here for that, if you didn't listen to that, I really encourage you, go to our website or podcast platform that you listen to and take that message in. That's a really important message, okay? So God designed sex. He specifically designed it so you become one when you engage in sexual activity. So, you know, you're one physically, emotionally, and spiritually. That's what Genesis 2 is all about. When we read about a man leaves his parents and he finds his wife and they become one. So now if it's true that you become one in all three phases, physically, emotionally, spiritually, then I really believe it's also true that there's really no such thing as casual sex, okay? Because in the act of sex, there is so much more at play than just physical intimacy. So when God says, I have an abundant life for you, that pertains to marriages too and the guidelines he puts for marriage. He doesn't have these in place to hold you back or oppress you. He has them in place so you don't have to be alone. So you can be secure in your spouse. So you can be together physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So you can have pleasure and also, man, have a lot of kids, right? Procreate. But when you have sex outside those guidelines that God calls for marriage, you now become one with other people. So now you're physically, emotionally, and spiritually bonded with multiple people in this abundant, powerful life that God wants to give you what's broken. It's really been perverted from its original conception because you've got physical, emotional, spiritual bonds with other people, or we might even today say, you know, websites, right, that were made for the security of marriage. And what it leads to is brokenness and pain. So the Creator didn't design sex to be this way. You know, I, I don't serve Jesus because he simply died on the cross for me and rose again. I serve him because I really believe that God's way is the best possible way to live. I, I don't live this way because I have to, because those are the rules, because I have to figure things out and how to grind out this life. No, like I, I live this way because the Creator designed sex and marriage to be abundant and full. And so if I follow God's plan for sex or for my marriage or for my finances or raising my kids, like you see the pattern, how it works, if God designed it, I want to follow it. But the enemy, he'll do all that he can to derail you and to distract you and destroy you from God's purpose and plan. He'll do what he can to pull you away. And this is what happens to Joseph and Potiphar's wife. So everything's going to go great for Joseph. And then you have this distraction. And I want you to look at the progression that takes place here. So Potiphar's wife will first notice Joseph. That's in verse 7. You know, the enemy takes notice of you. He takes notice that you serve on the dream team here at Radiant or whatever you know, ministry team at church that you serve in at. Yeah, he, he notices you serving the kids or the cafe or the group leader. He sees you engaging in your community, loving your family, using your gifts, talents, abilities that God's given you. And then he makes his move. Now Potiphar's wife notices Joseph and moves in on him also in verse 7. She goes, come sleep with me. And this is how temptation starts. It starts with the enemy saying, there's something better that you're missing out on. Like, you need to heal that pain. Like, you need to cope with whatever you're going through. And I've got something that's going to help you. And it's what he did with Adam and Eve, right? You know, he tells them, oh, you won't die, man. He says, hey, God's holding out on you. So then Joseph rejects her advances. And still, day after day, she just keeps at it. Verses 8 through 10. She keeps coming back at him, right? That's what the enemy does. He 
pesters you. He bothers you. He consistently tries to pull you off track. He'll have you compare your marriage, your family, your job to what's on social media, to what your friends are doing, to how they're living. You know, he'll compare you to the guy who cheated and got away with it. Like all those things to kind of just draw you off track. And then one day, it happens. Joseph's alone. She comes at him with full force, verse 11. There's always that one day when the enemy throws everything he's got and the kitchen sink at you. And it's in that moment when the house is empty, right? Like when you're caught off guard. That moment, that temptation becomes the greatest struggle. And she waits until they're alone. And then she grabs Joseph's cloak in verse 16. And man, when temptation strikes in that moment on that one day, you've got a choice to make. And you've got to make that choice really quickly. And so for Joseph, he chose to run out of the house rather than give in to temptation. So what's the strategy then that you need to handle a ruthless enemy and the struggle of temptation? What would that be? Well, there's two keys I want to give you to remember uh, how to handle temptation. First key is simply this. Remember, right? Remember. Remember that when we fall into temptation, it hurts us. But what if we could remember, too, how much we had to lose in those moments? Joseph knows how much is at stake. He says in verse number 8, My master trusts me with everything in his entire household. I know one here has more authority than I do. So imagine, like, you're, you know, you're Joseph. He's like, hey, lady, <laughs> I came out of the pit. Like, my brothers tried to kill me. They stole everything and sold me as a slave. And as far as slaves go, I've got it pretty good right here. I'm running this whole joint. I have comfort. I have prestige. I have leadership. Why would I risk all of that for you? In the midst of temptation, what if we could remember how much we had to lose? That we could risk losing our kids, our spouse, our future. Uh, you know, one of the observations I've made over the years is that when someone's really caught up in temptation, it's kind of like they're in a fog and they can't see very clearly. And when that one day comes, they, they just kind of <laughs> just kind of turn dumb. It's like, like, what are you doing, man? You, you want to bang their head against the wall, right? Like, you're going to cheat your finances for that? You're going to give all this up for a one-night stand? Like, you're giving everything God's blessed you with and freed you from so you can go back and be dependent on something all over again? It's like they can't see what's ahead and how bad it's going to hurt, which is kind of what fog is. F-O-G is forgetting our gifts. Because when fog hits, you forget your gifts. So when the struggle for temptation comes, stop. And remember that you know, it's outside God's plan for you. It's going to cost you. And it will not only hurt just you, it's going to hurt God as well. Look at what Joseph says in verse number 9. He says, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against who? Against God. So for Joseph, this is not a risk-free opportunity. Sometimes you look at the, the consequences of temptation, and we don't really see everything that God sees. The house is empty. Joseph's well-built and handsome. He could flirt with the idea that he's like, well, she's got as much to lose as, as I do, you know? But for Joseph, this was a sin not against just Potiphar. It was a sin against the Lord who sees all and knows all and, and is always present. And that's the thing about sin. It's never private. It always has consequences. So Joseph cared more than like just getting caught. He knew everything happens before the eyes of the Lord. So in other words, Joseph had a real enough relationship with God 
that he cared more about than just getting caught with human eyes. He cared about being caught with, with, with the Lord's eyes. I'm telling you, if you could grasp how much God loves you today, how he has a purpose for you, how he wired you with potential to extend his kingdom, it would change some things in your life. Temptation, it just grieves God, not because he's wanting to strike you down for giving into it, but because he's full of love and mercy and grace and he wants what's best for you. And sin will always rob you of your God-given purpose. When Adam and Eve first sinned at the start of history, God, he finds them hiding. And his first remark when hearing the realization that they were naked was, was who, who told you that? Like, who told you you were naked? Why, like, why would you do that? I had, this, I had this whole garden, this whole plan, this purpose for you. Like, why would you do that? It breaks me that I have given all this to you and now I've got to take it all away. I'm not saying if you fall into temptation that God's grace doesn't cover you, because it does. But these distractions and detours, these pauses that get us off track, they hurt our kingdom purpose. So remember, what giving in to temptation can cost you and who it will hurt the next time you face that struggle. Now here's the second key to overcoming the struggle of temptation. Run. And that's what Joseph does. He runs out of that house. You can't flirt with temptation, man. You can't get close enough to it. You can't, you know, you, you need to simply just run from it. And so often we, we fall into temptation because we, we don't have a plan. We don't have a strategy for, for getting out. And so we don't have the ability to really run. And part of that's because we don't always look at the people that God's placed in our lives to help us craft an escape plan. In other words, kind of help us be held in, you know, to accountability here, hold you accountable to to your actions. It's important that you have a, a plan in place. We have one for when we travel, right? For when you know we go out with the guys or the girls. So so then what's your strategy for the internet? Like what's your what's your strategy and plan for pain? Is it to cope with alcohol and pills? Like who do you call that you can let in and be honest with, you know, and it can really help you when things kind of go haywire. So many of us we we fall into temptation because we just put ourselves in the situations with no plan to run and escape. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 real quick. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. That's a really important fact right there. And God is faithful, will not allow the temptation to be more than what you can stand. Another very important fact. When you're tempted, what's he gonna do? He's gonna show you a way out so you can endure. In other words, the choice really is up to you on what you do when temptation strikes. And running away, that needs to be your plan. Sometimes it looks like an emergency evacuation. You're going really quick, right? It's kind of messy a little bit. But you're leaving everything behind you should leave behind. And, you know, God's Spirit, if you allow Him to, He will warn you and speak to you. So don't ignore His voice, but listen to it and gather people around you who can help you run. But we're not just running away from temptation. We're also running towards something else, too. So Paul's words in Timothy uh, kind of go like this. I love what he says here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living or godly living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Check this out. Enjoy the companionship of those who call the Lord with pure hearts. So we don't just run. We run with a purpose towards righteous or godly living. And if we're, if we're not running on a purpose, then guess what? We're not running in a direction. And if you're not running in a direction, you're just going in circles, okay? <laughs> You'll struggle with the same temptation over and over and over again because you're not escaping and changing course to something else. 
I ran track in high school and I hated it. <laughs> I did not like track at all. I ran the 400, which is honestly, I think the hardest race that you can run. Uh, the 1600 is the one mile and the 3200 meter, which is two miles. I loved cross country because in cross country you run a course with different challenges and scenery and you know that the direction you're running in is making progress towards a definite end. It's not in a circle over and over. When we're not pursuing godly living, we're going to have to get off the track and change directions, change course, run a little cross country, okay? I know that God created me with a purpose. I know that He called me. I know that He anointed me. I know that you know when I start to run towards godly living, it changes my direction. It keeps me going on the right path. And as a bonus, when I pursue kingdom principles with those who have the same motives as I do, I win. Some of you guys, man, like you're, you're running through life with a bunch of knuckleheads right now. Like if you get around that person who gossips all the time and talks down all the time to folks, you're going to do the exact same thing. If you get around the guy who has to have a drink before noon every day, like, you know, that person who can't stay, uh, uh, go a day without some kind of substance to cope with, then you're going to find yourself in the same predicament. Don't run with those guys. And I'm not saying, like, isolate from them because you're very likely the, the light in their darkness. Although, in some cases, you might have to because they are just way too toxic for you. But what I'm saying is hold them at arm's length. Don't get too close. Make them acquaintances. Don't make them you know, the person you open up to and share your whole world with at that point. Instead, link arms with the person running towards Christ who's pursuing God with all they have. Even if they don't understand it all yet, no problem, that's fine. They're learning and growing like you are. Run with those guys. That's why iron sharpens iron. It's why you get discipled, which by the way also means you're teachable. You're teachable because you're around people who will tell you things you may not necessarily want to hear. But you need to hear them because they're looking at and seeing things that you can't see. So a lot of folks, you know, they'll go from like church to church and group to group because they're just very uncomfortable with leaders who say, hey, this thing right here in your life, like I know why you're doing it. I know why you're living this way. But can I just tell you, man, that that's not the plan that God, God's got a different plan for you. Let me show you what that plan's like. And the response so often is, well, I don't like what you said. I'm offended by what you said, right? And that's, that's not, that's not discipleship. That's, that's growth. You know, growing pains are necessary as you stretch and reach your God-given potential. So run with people who are pursuing the kingdom of God. So what if then we could remember all the blessings God's given us and how he's been good to us? When you remember to live out your purpose, you're going to get a target put on your back. The enemy is going to do all that he can to entice you and to pull you away, to tempt you. So what do we do? We remember and we run. We, we don't run aimlessly, we run, we run with purpose towards God. Temptation is present every day because the enemy has a plan to pull you away from God's purpose. Maybe you're struggling with that today, maybe you're hurting. I, I, I just want you to know that's you. God loves you and he pursues you. He even paid for your past. Like your past might be haunting you today, but the enemy's putting lies in your head, saying, oh, you'll never be this person, never, you'll never become that kind of guy. Like, listen, God paid for your freedom with his son. 
He paid for your present sin, your addictions, your fear, your anxiety, your worry, your anger. You, you have freedom. Life doesn't have to be a struggle that you grind out every day. So serve the God of abundance who's got a purpose for you, who wants you to live the life that he's given you to the fullest, who has freedom for you. But there are still seasons of temptation that you're going to need to, to plan for and overcome because there's too much kingdom work for us to do to get distracted and pulled off track by the temptations that the enemy sets. We pray for you today. God, I love you. I thank you for those who are watching and listening right now. Lord, I pray for those who struggle with temptation. Help them to remember how much it will cost them, how it could hurt them, and help them run. God, run away from the temptation of the enemy run towards you. I pray, Lord, that you would give them people they can surround themselves with who will hold them accountable, who will disciple them. May they be teachable as well and pliable. May we learn from Joseph's story and his example. God, I pray, and run from temptation and, and do the right thing, God, following your purpose and your will for our lives. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, man, great having you guys with us here today. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.